Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Hello and welcome to episode two of the second series of Out with Susie Ruffle. First of all, thank you so, so much for all of you that got in touch with me uh, after the Alan Carr episode went out last week. I, uh, I was really, really proud of it and it seemed that lots of you really enjoyed it as well. So thanks so much for that. We also rated on the Spotify charts for the first time, which is amazing. Um, I was really thrilled when they uh, sent me a little, a little message to tell me that had happened. Uh, so yeah, delighted about that. Delighted to receive so many lovely messages as always. So thanks so much for uh, for getting in touch and for being here and listening to today's episode. Uh, currently, I am sat in a wardrobe at my mum and dad's house. Um, I'm doing the uh, the top and tail of the episode from from here this week, and I mean I'm literally shut in a massive cupboard. Um, Alice, my girlfriend couldn't stop laughing so she had to leave the room because uh, this is where I'm speaking to you all from but I decided it was probably the place with the best um, sound insulation. I'm surrounded by my dad's shirts. Uh, Maybe I'll put a picture on Instagram for you to have a look at. Um, So hopefully the quality's um, good enough and you're, you're hearing me loud and clear. So we've got another brilliant episode today but uh, as we did in the first series I'm going to be sharing listeners stories at the beginning part of the episode every week and if you want to get in touch please please do. The email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com. I would love to hear from you and uh, hear some stories that I'm going to share this week. The first person would like to remain anonymous so of course I will respect that but here is their letter. I stumbled upon your podcast by accident but I am so glad I did. I have binged it over the past few days and have been reduced to tears by the stories and my heart filled with joy. The podcasts are brilliant and you are such an amazing interviewer. Thanks for saying that. I'm bisexual and I guess I sit somewhere between five on a scale with the question, am I gay? Never that far away. Actually getting to the point of admitting I'm bi has been quite a hard slog. Childhood was rough but fairly loving. My father died when I was young and I was eventually sent to a boarding school. It was at this point that I started to struggle. Fairly soon after arriving at school, I began to become aware of my attraction to other boys, or rather my own queerness. The environment is what you could describe as toxic masculinity. Rugby was the game of men and you were expected to be one. And I was the odd one out, the arty one. I did not fit in, but I was here to stay. I learned to keep my head down and keep the bullying to a minimum. Bullying was part of the culture. 
Being outed as gay would have been intolerable. I hid my sexuality so deep in me that even the one obvious gay teacher didn't suspect. We crossed paths years later and spoke frankly about the school. My safe space was home in the holidays. I spent the holidays mostly alone, surrounded by music or exploring my gender issues as discreetly as I could. Nothing major, just figuring out who you are sort of thing. The safe bubble came crashing down one day, sending me into the deepest, darkest closet. My mother turned to me and, referring to a character on TV who was gay, said, If you're like that, don't tell me. I don't want to know you. And that was it. I was the wrong one. And the fear and the loathing set in. I struggled through my teens and twenties. My mental health, already fragile, was in tatters. Meeting men and then running a mild, racked with guilt and hating myself, believing no woman would ever want a relationship with a bisexual man. I was shameful of who I was. I eventually married, burying who I was, working hard and living a life, a good one. But I was not honest. I was not me. I eventually came out to my wife, who, laughing said she knew, and it was probably the reason we were together. We'd both struggled a bit, but mostly down to biphobia and the usual attitudes to bisexual people, greedy, confused, on the way to gay. I've sorted much in my life, and I kind of like myself. I'm not exactly out, but in no way in the closet. I wear my work's LGBTQ lanyard, partly because it's who I am, and partly so that there's an element of visibility. If one person sees it and feels they're less alone, then I've done my job. Social media has been a massive help in my self-acceptance. It's where I can be queer or engage easily with queer people. I can't begin to tell you how important the podcast is to me, and I imagine to many others around the world in situations like mine. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for getting in touch. And um, I think it's really important that we always cover you know, every part of the LGBTQI plus community and, you know, and that someone that's bisexual can be in sort of a heterosexual, I'm putting air quotes in the air, a heterosexual relationship or however they want to describe it and still be part of our community. So I'm so pleased that you got in touch and I'm so pleased that you, as you say, you've got so much sorted in your life now. And wearing that LGBTQ plus lanyard will definitely help people it will definitely give people a lift I know and I'm sure loads and loads of listeners know that sometimes when you just see one of those if you're on a train late at night or just in a shop or or wherever you are if you see that you do feel a little bit less alone so I'm sure that in your own way you are you're really helping people so thank you for getting in touch Um, now there's a, a, a letter I say letter it's not a letter you know it's an email who's receiving post um, but I, I, I want to share this one because it's from um, it's from a straight ally. But I was I just loved this email so much, and so I wanted to share it with you all. Hi there, I am a straight white middle class bloke of forty six. I'm not sure you want to hear from me, and let's face it, the world has had enough of the opinions of my demographic. But I wanted to say how much I love the podcast. I've been a fan of your stand up for a while, and my wife and I have seen you several times. So I wanted to check out your podcast, and it has been so illuminating and touching and informative. I appreciate it's probably more aimed at the LGBTQI community, but despite having many friends from the queer community, everyone's story is different, and I am learning so much from this podcast, and it's helping me be a better ally. The Tom Allen episode brought me to tears twice once when he was talking about the heartache as a boy 
And also when you talked about telling your friend that you were about to move in with that you were gay and asking her if she still wanted to live with you and remembering the shoes you were wearing because you were looking down so much. It hit me so hard and really moved me. My teenage years were troubled and the heartache of not having your love for a girl reciprocated felt so crushing. But it pales into insignificance because at least I knew society wouldn't reject me for fancying a girl. It makes me realise the enormous burden it must be to be a teenager in love who cannot come out because they fear the societal backlash. I mean, I knew it was a huge issue, but these stories have really brought it home. It's really helped me learn more about the complex nature of coming to terms with your sexuality and the journey people have in being in the LGBTQI plus community, what they have to face. And I hope in a small way I can do my bit to help make people feel more comfortable in who they are. I've told lots of people about the podcast and I'll leave a review on iTunes. Of course, it's important that people in your community listen to the podcast and it's wonderful to hear people in the community finding comfort and inspiration in it. But although I'm not part of your community, I want you to know that your podcast has affected me greatly. It's hugely informative for us heteros too. I'm looking forward to your next tour show whenever it's arranged. Keep the podcast coming. Peace, love and power to you and all your guests, Alex. Alex, I was so thrilled when I read your email because in some ways, yes, this is a podcast for the LGBTQI plus community, but it is really is for everyone. And I really hoped that when I created it, that people like yourself would enjoy it and you would enjoy our stories because I think so often a queer story is sort of considered other or it's considered sort of a niche thing, but it's not. It's just a story of a person in the same way that a straight person's story is often a story for everyone. A gay person's story can be a story for everyone. And so actually, Alex, you getting in touch with me has confirmed to me that the podcast is doing exactly what I hoped it would do. It's reaching out to all sorts of people and giving them some courage or some inspiration or they're learning something. So thank you so, so much for getting in touch with me. Um, I really appreciate it. And um, be sure that next time you come to a tour show, wait for me afterwards because I would love to say hello to you. Okay, let's have one more story and then we'll get on with today's interview. Hi, Susie. I finally got around to it and binged through all of the podcasts a couple of months ago. Your topics covered were so amazing, inspiring and just all round beautiful to hear. I'd previously come out as a bisexual woman in the past year, but I've since come out as gay in the past month. And honestly, it feels like coming out as gay has been a much more difficult process for me internally than coming out as bi. I remember I was on the phone to my friend and they said, you know, it's okay if you aren't bi, if you're gay. And I think I cried for a day from the love and support I got. It seemed like the last little nudge I needed was someone telling me that it was okay to be gay. I'm only 22 years old, and after compartmentalising my attraction to women throughout my entire childhood and early adulthood, it was very hard for me to embrace my sexuality. Listening to the podcast has made me realise there are more people who are supportive of the LGBTQI plus community than people who don't support it or at least there are in the environment I find myself in. I find some days it's very easy to know I'm gay and that that's okay, but other days I'm gay and I'm constantly having to remind myself that there is nothing wrong with it. I've only come out to a few select people in my life, including my mum and my brother, who have been very understanding and supportive. It feels very refreshing and freeing. Listening to your podcast has made me want to learn more and to advocate more for the plus in the LGBTQ plus community as I hadn't previously made the effort to learn and to understand how broad our community is. Once again, thank you. Kindest regards, Natalia. 
Well, thank you so much for getting in touch, Natalia. And I had a very similar um, experience, that final nudge of getting out of the closet. Um, I totally relate to that. And I'm sure lots of our listeners will too. And I think you're absolutely right. Us all doing what we can to advocate and learn more about the plus in the LGBTQI plus community is very important. So um, as ever, thank you very much for getting in touch and for sharing your story. This podcast doesn't, it does exist, but it would just be an interview show without the correspondence. So it is really important to me. So please, if you'd like to share your story, do. The email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com. So let's get on to today's interview. Um, I was very excited for this one. Um, I'm interviewing a pop star. It's very, very exciting. I wish I could ring my 14-year-old self and tell me I'm doing it. I'd be chuffed to bits. Um, M&EK, he currently has the UK number one uh, with Head and Heart. He's absolutely brilliant. I've been a fan of his work for ages. This episode, I really fangirl. So there's a bit of a warning for you because... I mean, I just love music and especially his. So I hope you really, really enjoy it. Um, As ever, thanks for getting in touch. Thanks for listening. You know, if you'd like to do an iTunes review or to tweet about the show, I would be massively appreciative of that. Um, But thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. And please enjoy this interview. Oh, listeners, I am so excited to welcome today's guest, M&EK. M&EK is a recording artist, songwriter and record producer. He's written hits for Beyonce, Madonna, Little Mix and Clean Bandit to name a few. He's produced for Kylie, Christina Aguilera and Zara Larson, and has featured on songs with Hayley Steinfeld, Stormzy, Zara Larson, and a whole host of others. I absolutely loved his debut album Language and if you haven't heard it, I urge you to download it right this minute. He's been nominated for a Grammy and at the time of recording he has the UK number one with Joel Corey with Head and Heart which is the absolute hit of the summer for me. I'm a massive fan and I've absolutely fangirled over him twice in real life. Once in a club in East London and at New York Pride, mainly to tell him that my girlfriend and I were using a song off his album for the first dance at our wedding. I just couldn't help myself. I am so chuffed he's given us some of his time today. Welcome to the show, m and Hi. How are you doing? Doing good, baby. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I mean, it must be very exciting to be number one. It's so interesting. It's such a weird time to be <laughs> number one. In, yeah, sure. Like, you know, I'm really grateful. And I, I you know, I, it really wasn't what I was expecting to come out of this year. But it has. And I think it's, yeah, it's dope. I'm I'm really, really gassed. I'm just disappointed I can't dance to it in a club at the moment. Me and you both. <laughs> me, and you, me, me and you both. I think it's it's a weird time to be stationary. But yeah. It's a dance record and I I usually do well with those and that, mm-hmm. you know, I have fun writing them and recording them and uh, and Joel's been so amazing. It's been interesting going back into the pop bubble again, like right. kind of like interviews and like small talk and like uh, like all that stuff you do like with press with a, with a song like this and... Mm-hmm. It's been fun. It's been great to watch Joel do it because he's so up for that. And this is like his lane and his moment. Um, And it's great to be a part of that. And have you missed not being able to perform it? I, I have missed that. I We actually performed it for the first time uh, a few days ago. Um, We were doing this uh, Clean Bandit. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We did a Clean Bandit, like, Global Citizen show thing. And it was so much fun. I just missed, like, just getting to sing and and actually it was the first time I'd sung the song live. And at this point, the song's been number one for a few weeks. So it's like, usually you're doing that to promote the song, but so it can get there. 
and uh, we've been doing it as an asset alongside it and so it's been a lot more comfortable and less pressure but also I want to do more I wish I've done more singing of the song and you're coming today to us from your studio that you're working in so you work you're working on new music all the time I'm guessing yeah, I mean, I'm working on new music all the time. I, I'm working on stuff for other people. I'm working on any little things that people want me singing on. And because sure. I think, uh, especially, and I will talk about this like later, I guess, like when we get into like the album and stuff, but mm-hmm. I think I put a lot of pressure on myself and really like let myself feel quite imprisoned by everything that was, oh, I'm not known as the singer or I'm not known as the face of what I do. Um, as opposed to just being like, I've contributed to these things. This is what I bring to the table. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because you've been in the music industry for a long time now, haven't you? Considering, are you, are you 25, 26? I'm 26 How- in November. 26. Right. Okay. So you are young <laughs> you're like you're one of those people that you see in a magazine and you're like he's how old are you kidding me that makes me feel like I need to get my shit together more like come on but yeah you you got into the industry because you so you started writing music when you were a child is that right yes I, I started writing in school I was you know writing poems and I'd always been I'd always loved music and I was always like really fascinated on how you make people feel that way through music and so um, my dad got me a uh, uh, music making program called Dance EJ, and I would literally just put these loops together, and that was my first experiences of like composing like music or like putting things together in that way. And then I started writing my own melodies and and doing that, and then I put some songs up on MySpace when I was thirteen, fourteen, and that was literally my gateway to the industry and loads of people publishers saw it and uh I signed my first publishing deal at 14 and that was very much me in the industry trying to fit in sessions in between school and weekends and half terms and that must have been insane at that age to be having such an impact did it feel exciting did it feel scary I think it was I was very blessed because I think I you know it was great to know that I had something I could just get on with as soon as I finished school. Because mm-hmm. yeah. I didn't enjoy school. I didn't really feel like I'd fit in. I was never really the most academic. I always really did have a one-track mind. Like this, The second I realized that music was something I was really excited about and passionate about and good at, I really that was all I wanted to do. And I didn't really have a plan B or any idea of what I would do that was in like a academic sense. So what were you listening to when you first started writing? I was actually listening to a lot of music my parents would be listening to. So my parents would play a lot of uh, Bob Marley and New Jack Swing. Like my dad had all the Pure Swing CDs. Did you ever see those? Like the the R like basically these compilation CDs like of R and B and New Jack Swing, and the front covers would be like scantily clad women or men. And any wonder how I became gay. Anyway. <laughs> uh, and so it'll be that. My mom loved the divas and loved like Whitney and like R&B. And so I had like a really good wealth of like music to listen to that would even make me inquisitive on how you make music. So Because I think part of the reason I, so I came across you. So I was, my Spotify was like, here's some suggested music and colour came on. And I was like, I love this. Language had come out maybe like two weeks before. So I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to start following this guy. Okay, great. And like downloaded all the music to my phone. So I had it. And the thing that I think I connected with it 
instantly was because it feels a fresh version of like the 90s R&B I grew up with. <laughs> so do, do you get that a lot? I love 90s R&B and it, it was a massive influence on mm. on everything that I do. I, I It's what I grew up listening to. Um, I'm a 90s kid. So mm-hmm. I, I, I always have an issue even thinking that I am R&B in any sense because I make pop music. I, and I make music that's like influenced by R&B um, massively. But then I guess there's music out there that is really true to the form of R&B in its core and doesn't subscribe to like maybe the pop tricks that I've learned over the years of being in the industry that have like seeped into everything that I do. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I'm glad you heard the references. <laughs> you know, there was definitely just something that I, I felt like I knew it as I was listening to it. Like, oh yeah, this feels like, this suits me. This is great. I'm, I'm into this immediately. So you briefly mentioned school. What was school like for you? School was interesting because... I like I I think about it now and I haven't been in school in 10 years now so it's kind of like retrospectively I think it was cool for like social skills and me figuring out how to mix with people in a room of course Mm -hmm. but I think I just I was never the academic type so I was never really strong in any way in uh, uh, other than music really in the school and as far as like friends go I definitely made friends and I definitely, you know, was so sure. I didn't really have like a click, you know, like mm-hmm. you feel like you have, oh, you know, these are the people that I'm always going to go to. And I was just easy to like morph into everyone's little bubbles and like do all that stuff. So like putting on different hats for different people. Yeah, totally. Just sort of like, yeah, okay, well, I'm going to be this kind of version of me now, this version of me now. So do you think that music for you like created a sense of escapism? Music was just, I felt like where I belonged Mm. I think it's like beyond even escaping. I think it was just, it was very, I feel, I feel very blessed to get to do this for a living because, you know, many people who feel like they're born to do this don't get to do it for a living. And so I'm glad I, I really could hone in on it and really train it from young. And even while in school, like really just get to do it and be in it and have the connections and yeah, have the chance that must have been crazy to not be someone that was like into school or into academia, but then having to go to school, but knowing that you've got this career kind of waiting for you, that you're sort of squeezing in every moment when you're outside of it. Was school like, oh, for God's sake, I've got to go and do that again? Uh, towards the end, it was definitely like, you know, because I, I I was uh, by the GCSEs, I'd left. Right, okay. So towards the end, I was a bit like, oh, come on. <laughs> like, like I'm... <laughs> I'm, I'm over this now. Like I want to just work, and I want to like write and and get hits and 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 sing and do whatever. So it was a bit of that, and I think I I respected it because it was you know my parents were definitely instrumental in all of that, and it just being like you obviously care about this a lot, but it's not going to be this thing of you want to like leave school or disrupt your education. And I actually, you know, funnily enough, I almost, I got into Brit school. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Cause I applied to go to Brit school for A levels and it was, and to me, I was in the industry at this point, but I, my thinking was, you know, my parents really want me to go to school. So if I go to like a music school or like a, a art school, then it's going to be like the best of both worlds. I'll still be in education. I'll get mm-hmm. to be like working on it. Sure. 
my managers had to have like an intervention with me and my parents and be like, you are wasting your time. What are you doing? Hurry up, get out of school so we can get you paid. And it became that. I mean, I, I didn't go, but, and my parents, I think they're, they're cool with it now because you're such a massive success. Well, it's doing, it's, it's not doing bad. <laughs> yes. I mean, you're doing pretty well. Like, but that must be, I can imagine that as a pet, like I'm not a parent, but if I was a parent, like, as you say, like so many that have dreams of being in the music industry, like it just doesn't happen for them. And so there must've been the fear of like, get something to fall back on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My parents were totally that way. Like they definitely thought that way, but they did know that I was useless outside of this. <laughs> like they didn't know that I wasn't really like gonna do anything and I was so focused I'd been like laser focused from really young like I'd always wanted to do this there was no like wavering on the concept of me wanting to sing wanting to write wanting to produce records and 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 make my money that way and so I guess they saw that I was very consistent in that and that they let me they left me to it and you know, for the past 10, 11 years, it's just been that really. And so when you, you said you put out your first stuff on MySpace when you were 14. Yes. And that must've been crazy then getting signed to a publisher. That must've been so exciting. Well, yeah, I had no idea what a publisher was. So I was just like, you know, who are all these white people coming into my house? Really, right, really, okay. <laughs> like for the most part, I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> like just, just, Cause I grew up in Catford. I grew up in like South London and- Yeah, I live I live around the corner from where you grew up. I saw that on your, I live in Lower Sydenham. So you're oh, yeah, right exactly. next to me, no, yeah. Exactly. Like I, I, I walked past, I've walked out of Lower Sydenham station like many a time. So like- Miss, If you ever want a tea- I live on the first block as you get out of Sydenham Station, okay? So I would, next, time I'm, <laughs> next time I'm visiting my parents, I'll know what to do. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, where I grew up and, and where I went to school, I was in predominantly like black surroundings or it was a thing of like, you know, if there were white people, they were actually the minority in that surrounding. Mm-hmm. I was finding I was the one black person, you know, I was being like face to face in all of these situations I wasn't used to. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it was like character building and it definitely was like eye opening into just more adult conversations that I probably wasn't even I really wasn't having with my parents. So like it was now okay. I'm just finding out more about myself. And at this point, say when you were around that age or when you were just coming up to leaving school, were you aware of your sexuality? Did you realize you were gay when you were much much younger? Well, you know, I think I knew that I was attracted to men, but. I didn't quite know how to process it because it kind of goes back to where I like the environment and just like the the community in which I was growing up in. Like me being in school, in school with a predominantly black demographic in the school, you know, I'm I'm Nigerian descent and uh, it's just very frowned upon in those environments. And so there was no open space for me to even like explore it or to even ask myself the question. So I think I knew I was attracted to men, but I think there wasn't there wasn't any spaces for me to explore it or to say it. It just was, it didn't feel right there and then. Mm-hmm. So even the songs that I got discovered by, I was singing about women, you know? Right. And so like, I was really, really, really trying to find my way in there. It didn't always feel quite, well, it never really felt organic, you know, because I was, wasn't singing about a true experience. I'd never had sex at that point, nor did I even had a proper girlfriend I think I had a girlfriend in school but that's school you know like that's not like babes (laughs) so (laughs) because I feel like in a lot of ways I'm quite a late bloomer because as a result of not having those environments I think 
you know, a lot of people that I'd go on to meet would have exper- different experiences as far as with their parents or with their sexuality in which they could have boyfriends in their teens and really like have that moment of exploration. And by the time they're my age right now, they're very much about this not new to them. And so when you were sort of going into the music industry and you were, say you're 16 now and you're doing more stuff and you're actually working, you hadn't come out yet or you hadn't really engaged with that part of your life yet. Is that right? I hadn't engaged with that part of my life because even at that point, I wasn't even legal. Yeah. So I couldn't go to like, nightclubs or I, I can do any of that you know like I would meet certain people in the industry that were helpful in me even like discussing my sexuality you know I'd meet people like Biff Stannard who uh wrote and produced the Spice Girls records or there would be John Shave who's a, a, again an incredible writer producer who I love and um so much and like those were spaces that I would find a comfort in discussing it. Right. But before then, you know, it, I never had anyone to talk to about it. I was always around people who would use gay as a slur. And so I'd be on Twitter, like talking mess at 14, 15, like really trying to show people I'm, I'm not gay. I'm, I'm mask and yeah. all of this. But you know, in reality, I just didn't have a space to really discuss it or to really like rationalize it. So when did that happen for you? Were you sort of well into your working career by then? I was 17 when I first came out to one of my best friends. And this was, <laughs> the funny thing is, and it's really awful. The first time I came out was that it was in a gay club. And I was 17, so I wasn't supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. And I went there and I saw all these scantily clad men. And I was like, all right. Now's not the time to be doing up bro or like doing up like, you know, mask on mask or trying to put up, put up a facade. Like I was like, let me just say it. And at, at the time I said I was attracted to both men and women because I also at that point in particular, I also wasn't sure. I knew that I was attracted to men, but I didn't know it was like, okay, I'm, I'm gay. So after that, it was a bit of exploring and opening myself up to dating and and yeah, like by 18, I'd fully come out to my friends, to my nearest and dearest. And mm-hmm. I was 19 when I came out to my mom and my dad. And was it something that you had to consider? Like, did you have to consider coming out in the music industry? Like, was that something that you thought, now do I want to tell people this or will I just keep this to myself? Like, I think when it when it came to the music, I think I found that as soon as I started releasing my own material as M&EK, Mm-hmm. I knew I didn't want to have anything like unclear. Mm-hmm. I think I didn't want to have to hide. I think I wanted to have the chance to, I didn't want to have this grand coming out moment. I wasn't really feeling that because I think I kind of gone through that in little bits and I was bored of it at that point. I was like, if someone asked me, I'll say it. And I'm also me. So I don't think anyone's gay does that out of whack to sense that I'm gay. So... <laughs> Yeah, I think I always was just like, you know, I am I think initially I was like, I don't want to use any pronouns. I don't want to use anything like that, you know, just so it's like... When you were singing about people in the songs. Yes, exactly. Right, yeah. Initially, okay. that was something that I would be like consciously doing so that there would be no like conversation about it. But then I guess by the time that I'd gotten to language, I was a lot more open to it and just like ready to just have fun with it and 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 see that it didn't it doesn't have to be this traumatic experience 
like at that point, I thankfully just found a lot of joy in it and mm-hmm. had found my my clique and my friends and my lingo and my groove at, at that point. Because that's one of the things I think that when I was like, obviously I've enjoyed loads of the work that you featured on or produced or written for other people, but the stuff that I loved so much about language, you know, because when you were just first like listening, I was like walking around Hoxton listening to an album, flicking through the songs. And then when you, when it was sort of clear that you were, you were talking about a man and you were, and then getting into the songs like Girlfriend, like, you know, I'm a, I'm a lesbian, but I felt so spoken to. I felt so, <laughs> I felt so like joyful that someone was so free within their sexuality in this album that I just, like, I, I sent it to so many of my friends being like, you have to listen to this. I think you're going to love it. And, and they did because it was so, I just think it's so rare to hear music that talks, I guess, explicitly about our experience or yeah. where you can go, oh yeah, well, he's not, not using a pronoun. He's saying, this is about a guy, which I just loved. Thank you. Yeah, I really did. I really did. I appreciate I'm fangirling you, but I only invite people on the podcast <laughs> I, I really want to meet. So I, I'm not meeting you, but we're over the headphones, so it's all good. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> so I read in, um, I think it was in an, an article in Billboard, that there, that there wasn't a like a blueprint for black gay pop stars. No, there isn't. I mean, the blueprint that we seek is usually our favorite female singers right you know I mean all my favorite musicians are mostly female because there's so much that we relate to Mm -hmm. like as far as being seen as a minority being seen as like a um, lesser being and and having to overcome that and show how strong we are you know Mm -hmm. and you know you see people like Beyonce and you see people like Gaga and you see Mariah and Whitney and all the divas, mm-hmm. you know, really are embodiments of like being feminine, but also extremely powerful. And I think those were things that artists like myself or whatever, like we look at that and we see that as a blueprint. As far as someone who is like us and from like is us, it's very hard to come by. And so I really just had to like figure it out and I didn't get everything right. But I think... I'm a work in progress and I think it's fun. To, it's, it's fun doing things and not always knowing how to do it or, yeah. <laughs> the, the be- or the best way to do it, but just saying, fuck it. And let me just see what got, what happens. And did you have any pushback from the music industry when you wanted to release an album that was so, I guess, direct about your sexuality? Yeah, from certain places. Right. I had some pushback from people that I worked with even after the album, and they'll just like, you know, maybe you should just tone down on the gay thing and just like really just sell records. And they're probably right. It's not like completely wrong. I think I imagine that maybe if I was just like making a song and the song like, you know, even look like Head and Heart, I'm not here like parading my gayness, except for in the video with the feathers. But like... (laughs) At the same time, like, you know, that's that's just the, the people aren't always trying to hear, like, this deep-ass message. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, I'm not going to police, like, who I am, especially when it's, like, straight white men telling me to do it. Like, it's just not, it's fine. <laughs> I, I can, like... Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I don't think, like, you, I mean, you said it as, like, a throwaway comment. Maybe I should tone down the gayness. But I, I, I think that that's where we get exactly who you are. And for me, that's where I really connect with music is when I feel like I know that person. And I know some songs are just songs that you hear on the radio and you like them. But I think when you really go like, oh, well, they're one of my favorites. 
you you feel like you know something about them. You feel you want them to be the honest version of themselves. And it's I guess it's tough because of course, like I really do see the value in me doing things the way I've done it. Mm-hmm. In that language was from a commercial point of view not great, <laughs> but like I think I let that overshadow the impact it had on the people who did get it. You must have got so much feedback from... Oh my God, like there were so many lovely comments from people just saying like, this is this has saved my life. And like, it, it makes me sad because at times I couldn't just enjoy that and really embrace that because I was so concerned about why hasn't this song gotten this many streams or whatever just because I've had a taste of that from very much the normal like heteronormative lens Mm -hmm. you know I think it's not like you know my my press releases have all been like oh like he's written this song for Dua Lipa he's written this song for Little Mix and Mm -hmm. la di da di da but at the same time you know there's not a black gay man in the front of the piece because you know it wouldn't be getting a billion streams if it was that so I'd always see that and be quite discouraged by it, but I'm not discouraged by it. I can be at peace knowing that whatever I've contributed has done that and that the the accolades I get from something like language are going to be different and they'll mean more. They're supposed to mean more because they come from a very like heartfelt place of people who are longing to feel represented. Oh, so much. You know, people who listen to Dua Lipa are not like all the way disenfranchised, you know what I mean? It's like... Totally. They, they see themselves represented in TV, in adverts, in music, just constantly. Sure. So it's like a... So it's not like... And that's not to slight anyone. No, I no, love no. Her and I love like... And she's brilliant. Totally. Yeah. Love her. She's dope. So like, it's just that when it comes to people like myself, like Vincent, like... Uh, Shamir Bailey, like Cakes the Killer, you know, we have to really measure our success in, from a different algorithm, from a different place, because it's not going to match up to the Dua Leapers or anything like that. You must be like an idol to so many, like young gay kids, also young black gay people. Do you feel that? Um, Is there a pressure or... I feel a lot of love from people. Mm-hmm. I do feel like I, I get a lot of love from people and I really appreciate those who do see themselves in me mm-hmm. because like it, it's something that I never had. And like th- right now I've con- I've just been doing my thing. Like the only reason why I'm here is simply from being myself and being genuine and doing what I love. And there's something about that really empowers people and, and, and that's really cool. I mean, I... It's, it's weird to think of myself as a role model. Because I think when I was younger, I was more than happy to be like, I want to be a role model. But like now I'm just like, you know, <laughs> I'm, you know I'm just going to like, I'm only going to be me, like I'm whatever it is. And if that influences somebody, then I don't know how I can always take it because that can be for better or for worse. Because that takes like a lot of courage, I think, to be that person. Because, you know, as we said just moments ago, you know, because there wasn't a blueprint for black gay pop stars, yeah. it must have taken a lot of courage to go, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be this person. I don't care really whether you like it or not. Yeah. I mean, I think I really just had to like look deep inside myself and just realize that this is all just fun. Mm-hmm. Like whatever it is, like if not everyone is going to get it, at least I get it. And at least I know what I'm trying to achieve. And at least like, it's so, it's so weird. I think it's an interesting position because it's like, I, I just don't come from the angle of just a singer. No. You know, I'm like, I, 
if I was just coming in here and other people were producing my records and my main thing was really being like the singer. And if I wasn't successful as a singer, then everything falls to shit. Like Mm -hmm. I'd see it differently, but I guess it's because I'm a part of the whole thing. And it's because I, like, I love performing and I love Mm -hmm. making music videos and I love like directing music videos and, and editing. Like I love the creative process of what I do. And I loved making the album. I had the greatest time, but I feel like I've I've grown up so much in this industry and I feel like I'm becoming such an old man because like the pop <laughs> star I, I know it's crazy I just feel like that the pop star thing is like I see it so differently now it's not it used to imprison me like so right. much how so well it's just I just would feel so shit that I'm not <laughs> I'm not doing what I feel like I'm supposed to be doing because the label have spent x amount of money on a music video and I've sold this many records with this person so why can't I sell this many records by myself am I not enough am I rubbish am I just best in doses like all that stuff I was seeing in such negative ways and it's like yo I'm here I get to do this for a living I'm singing on records all the time people like what I do and you know it's not all doom and gloom I just get in my head sometimes you know yeah and I think that when you're someone that's marginalized somewhat it's really easy to do that and go, well, what am I doing wrong? Rather than, oh, people haven't caught up with this yet. Yeah. Like, here's the thing. Okay. So when it came to me releasing the album, I think I was very like angsty and like very like on edge. Right. And just looking at all the n- metrics and stuff. And, you know, I must have said some stuff about, you know, the black community and me feeling like, there's not a lot of support from there from like, you know, straight black men or, mm-hmm. and I don't know why I was expecting that, but I guess like I was just feeling like in my feelings and there was definitely no one there telling me to delete anything. So there I was rattling away. And, you know, it's a conversation, I guess, because when it comes to what I do, you know, it's songs like the Joel record, it's songs like the Zara record, it's songs like Gorgon City, you know, when I'm next to like Caucasian artists, pop artist at times I felt a lot or even or even the Stormzy record you know where he's a black man or a black heteronormative like man I'm I'm a lot more digestible I guess in those senses and so I was very much like why no really not me when I'm listening in this in this way and it's like I didn't need to it just brings out like such a nasty side of me like longing for that type of success and then on top of that like along with that I'm constantly feeling like okay like it's my gayness that is it my gayness and my blackness that is holding me back which is something I can't help like it's co- that constant feeling yeah and then you go into this downward spiral and it's just like I, I've, I've hated feeling like that for so long it must be exhausting it is exhausting because it's all coming from me like I, I no one said anything like these are just all my inner thoughts and I just like spat them out because of just the mental trauma of being black and gay and black people feeling like they can't subscribe to the black gay thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, black people at large see gay as a, as a being gay as a white thing. Like that's, that's the truth. When you go to any of the other countries we're from, they see it as a very Western concept that if we were to have grown up in Nigeria or any of these places where it's illegal, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be this way because we'd be literally punished if we were even to think that way. That's it. That's it's heavy stuff to carry. Yeah. It's not great. 
But at the same time, to round it up, <laughs> like, <laughs> to, to, to round all of that up is... I'm very lucky. I'm very, very lucky I get to do what I'm doing. I'm very lucky to be a part of a number one record. I'm very lucky that, you know, I get to do this and that uh, I get to be myself doing it and that I haven't wavered or especially now, I mean, in my 20s, I haven't had to edit myself in order to please someone else. Yeah. I mean, you say you're lucky and I'm sure luck comes into it as well, but I also think it's to do with you being so very talented. Thank you. And so I think that you'll be missing something if we don't mention that. And I also think that when you were talking about like the album coming out and you like wrestling with all of that stuff constantly, it kind of sounded sad because it sounded like maybe you didn't have chance to really enjoy that moment of being someone that released an album. No, I literally didn't get to like, no, I, okay, I enjoyed it, but I think it was just, you know, I was too busy looking at the numbers. And I think like it's, it's a, it's a, blessing and a curse of being able to yeah. see success in a different way yeah I, right i've seen songs go to that i've written gone to go to number one i've seen songs that i've written get 100 million streams so it's definitely all of that but i know not to let that override my experience for the next go around whenever that may be yeah and i think as well you know as we've sort of said but to, to round up as well you know <laughs> the thing that I think language does and you being so visible and you being like guys if you don't follow him on Twitter and Instagram like you got to get on that immediately like I like I just think you're such a force of of hopefulness for me oh, and I think that that's and I'm and you know and I'm a um, I'm a white lesbian um so I can't imagine what it is for for all kinds of different people but because you're there and you're and you exist I think it's just brilliant that you do um I've, I'll ask you one more final question then I'll let you okay. go and have your delivery because I can't believe you haven't eaten yet I think it's sad oh, right. um, <laughs> so the question I ask everyone at the end of the pod is if you could say like pick up a phone, maybe like a dream phone, something like that, and call like a younger version of you. Or if you don't want to think of it like that, think of some 14-year-old boy who's in a similar situation to what you were at school in a similar environment. Yeah. What words of, of hope would you give them about what's to come? I just think, you know what? I would tell myself, like a younger version of myself, I would just say like, you're enough. I still struggle with self-esteem and thinking that I'm enough of, uh, and that I am good enough to be doing what I'm doing. And I guess it's just like knowing that I'm good enough, whatever amount that I give and that, whether it be that I play a, this part of the puzzle um, to a bigger puzzle, you know what I mean? That part, that bit that I've given matters. I, I've just dealt with self-esteem for the longest time and, I think in, especially when it came to like my sexuality, my body image, like so much has roller coasted over uh, across my teens and my twenties. And all of that has been spent in the industry. I've, I've spent almost half my life in industry. So I just tell them that you're enough, your talent is enough. And, and also that like, you're, you're more than the way you're growing up. You're more than your environment right now, because you know, up until I was like 15, I really hadn't seen much outside of Catford. Right. And Catford is like the outskirts of London. It's really not that far outside of it. But I was just so far removed from it that I had no idea of the the life that I could have. And I wasn't going to hear it from my parents. I really had to find that out from being in the industry or like going out and seeking that. And so I'll just tell that young little kid 
that there's more life out there and that there's more you're going to learn about yourself and that you're going to keep learning and that there will be no point where you say you have it all figured out. That's perfect. Thank you so much. Well, that was MNEK. I thoroughly enjoyed that. And as I said, please um, go on to Spotify or iTunes or wherever you get your music. That's what we're meant to say, isn't it? Wherever you get your music, wherever you get your podcasts um, and, and download language. It is really, it's a great album. Yeah, I'm sure you'll really enjoy it. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, we have another wonderful episode. I've got loads in the bank that I'm putting out uh, in this series. I've been squirreling away in my little... Uh, in that little cupboard space in my flat. And I've got loads that I'm going to share with you over the coming months. I'm so excited for you to hear all of them. As ever, if you'd like to get in touch, please do. The email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com. And until then, I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.